0: Welcome to Success Leaves Clues Podcast. I'm your host, Gary Brackett, and I've been blessed enough in my life to meet individuals who've been able to leave me clues on my journey to success. The goal of this show is to bring you the experience of those who have achieved great things and allow you to be a fly in the wall, soaking up clues for your own journey to success. Let's get right into this week's episode. Today, I got a special guest. And um, a, a lot of people, this this goes to show that LinkedIn is a powerful tool. Uh, he reached out to me on LinkedIn. We have the NFL combine in town. Um, he was going to be here for a few days. I wanted to kind of just get together with me. And, and, and for me, I'm like, great. I'd love to have you on the podcast. So uh, Mr. Rob Vaca is here with us today. Um, a guy who, who's doing something that's near and dear to my heart. He has a, a business right now um, that he's currently focusing on um, helping NFL players transition um, not even NFL player, just just high net worth people, transition, find purpose in their life, um, figure out that vision and, and what they got going on. So man, I'm, I'm, I'm blessed to have you on my show, man. very thankful. Um, so how you doing, man? Just picked you up from the airport, man. How's it going?
1: Uh, it's great to be in Indianapolis. I cannot believe that it's not like eight degrees because this is my, I think it's my fourth combine in a row. And every year I come here and it's just so cold and it's it's like fifty degrees in rainy out, which is awesome. And now we got two Jersey kids together. That's it. It is it's a blessing for me. It's a double blessing for me if it's a blessing for you to be here and be number five. I mean, we're at the combine. Yeah. If I'm a top five draft pick, that's that's pretty strong.
0: You're doing good for yourself. i have out right?
1: I've outkicked my coverage. No doubt. <laughs> I did it with my wife. I've done it here.
0: That's awesome.
1: So uh, so
0: New Jersey, Middletown, New Jersey, man. Uh, we were laughing about it in the car ride um, that uh, New Jersey is funny. Um, it, it, it should be like South Jersey and North Jersey, like North Dakota, and South Dakota, right? Because North Jersey, totally different characteristics. Um, you
1: were a Giants fan growing up. I was a Giants fan growing up, and, and for those people that know Jersey, Jersey's really like three states, right? Yeah. North Jersey has this different vibe. Yeah, for sure. South Jersey's kind of Philly. Yeah. And then I grew up in Central Jersey, which is kind of like its own deal. Yeah, so, yeah. So, yeah, we're Jersey kids. Uh, you're a Rutgers guy, and uh, that's really cool. State University of New Jersey, I love it.
0: Nah, that's awesome, man. That's awesome. So um, you, you made a comment um, earlier, no pun intended. Um, so you were a kicker. In college, um, so where'd you go to college at?
1: I went to the uh, spectacular powerhouse known as Wittenberg University in Springfield, Ohio. I like to say the king of Division Three football. I'm sure the Mount Union guys <laughs> like uh, Cecil Shorts and Pierre Garcon in the league would debate that, but yeah, Wittenberg University in Ohio looks like the Wisconsin helmet. And that's my kind of claim to fame. You see a picture with that W and somebody probably thinks it's Wisconsin. I I'm not going to tell them it's otherwise.
0: <laughs> nah, that's awesome. So, <clears throat> what what years did you go to school there?
1: Oh, wow. I got <clears> to <throat> disclose that. I I arrived on campus in the uh in the mid-80s, right. which was uh a time for great music. Yeah. Awesome. I got there in 85 and I left in 89.
0: Wow, that's awesome. So, 4 years, man.
1: Four years in uh, Springfield, Ohio, it was really cool going from New Jersey, which is kind of like go, 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 right? Everybody's yeah. everybody's racing past uh, the next person. And you arrive on campus at Wittenberg in the middle of Ohio, and everybody's nice. Yeah. And everybody says hello, and everybody wants to help you, which was – it was a really cool time in my life.
0: So it's funny. Um, I always tell people, like, when can you tell the difference from going back to New Jersey, you flying to Philly versus Indiana – my question, my, my comment is always in the terminal. Like when you go to baggage claim in Philly, no one helps anyone get their bags, right? It's like you're on your own. I don't know why it's called the city brotherly <laughs> love. I mean, I love visiting, but in Indiana, everyone's helping and being nice. So uh, it was always funny, like the two uh, different, being from Jersey, go, go, go. Everyone's, you know, taking care of themselves for being in the Midwest where it's super friendly, that your hospitality, I'm sure similar stuff in Springfield, Ohio. Um, but, it,
1: but it's such a difference than growing up in Jersey. Totally right, but you and I wouldn't trade it for the world. Oh, I no. mean, growing up, growing up in, in that part of the country and the culture and the food. You know, I live in Atlanta now, and and uh, with due respect to Atlanta, the you can't get the kind of cultural food and experience that you do in New Jersey, Philly, or New York. No,
0: no, no. What what is, what is the, uh, Atlanta's claim to fame from a food standpoint? Like Atlanta is famous for what type of food?
1: Yeah, you know, I, I would say um, barbecue. Okay great Mexican food, but you're not going to get tremendous Italian. You're not going to get tremendous Chinese. You're right. not going it's, to, it's not, it's not the ethnic food capital of the world, right? You're right, going right. to get, you're going to get barbecue and you got the home of Chick-fil-A and you got Waffle right. House. So if you want breakfast they got or a chicken colors. sandwich for lunch, you're set.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. I always love visiting out to Atlanta, man. It's, um, it's crazy to me how bad traffic is in Atlanta, uh, but it's always a cool place to visit. I know Buckhead um, is usually where I go for conferences and stuff like that. But it's a beautiful city, um,
1: definitely one of the biggest city, and definitely still growing. It's a great way of life, and uh, the people are great. And you have it's a melting pot, right? You got people from all over the place. But there's no doubt. Yeah, you know, I got off the plane here. I walked through the terminal. It was eerily quiet, even though the combines going on. Nobody bumped into me. There was no. Crowd. There were like nine people at the baggage claim, even though I didn't pick up a bag, I walked through there. And you go to you know, you go to Atlanta and this it is the busiest airport in the US. Wow. You got a hundred million people going through there. So uh yeah, this is this is good living for you here. You found a good spot here in Indianapolis. Nah, for
0: sure, man. For sure, I, I'm a Hoosier through and through at this point. Um, so let, let's talk about because it's interesting. We had some great conversations in the car. I'm um, just going to want to bring it everyone else um, that's listening uh, in on some of those. So so this whole uh, notion of transitioning, um, we all do it in our lives at some point, whether it's getting married, having children. Uh, but for you, transitioning, what did that look like for you leaving uh, college? Um, were were you prepared for life after college? What was your kind of mindset at that point? How did you, how, how, how were you able to transition?
1: It's a really good question. And I think, um, you know, the world is so different today than when I left college. Right. I mean, there was really no technology in 1989. Yeah. Right. There was no Facebook. There was no LinkedIn. There was, there was nothing. Right. So you had to work. Yeah. you had to really figure out, you had to really network. I mean, I was writing letters. I remember writing letters to IBM trying to get an interview, but the reality was I, um, I had a really good career at Wittenberg. I was fortunate enough when I came in to start as a freshman, I started all four years. And as I told somebody, you know, previously you break a bunch of records when you get to start for four years in college, right? It's so, yeah. you can't, it's, It's not even, it's by mistake. You just, you had an opportunity. It's not like I played two years. I played four years. So it was great. The relationships I built were unbelievable. The guys uh, that I went through the battle with are still buddies today. And when I left Wittenberg, I thought I had a shot to play in the NFL. And I didn't, I was so naive. And there wasn't the access to connection, right? One of my favorite words uh, on the planet is connection. Mm -hmm. There wasn't the access to connection. Like I would have never been able to reach you, right? You and I would have never met if there wasn't technology. So I had an agent. I don't even remember who it was. Clearly he wasn't great and I wasn't good enough because I had a couple of sort of team camps that I went to. I kicked, I had a back problem at the time and uh, I didn't make it. And my mindset at age 21 was, was different than it is today. I had not been through some of the adversities that I've now been through in my life. And I think when you don't have to work through adversities, when you have minor uh, steps to to hurdle through, you don't have the same mindset. And so at 21, I got the t-shirt for showing up at the camp and kicking. I was like, this is cool and I'm not gonna make it. Now I gotta go figure something out. And I remember my dad saying to me, dude, I just paid for four years at a private college. Do you have any idea how much money that was? And of course I didn't. And he said, you got to get a job. You can't like hope you play football someday. You went to a division three school. You had a great career. Let's move on. So I really took, when I say took, I took one of the first jobs that was offered to me. I'll never forget it. It was a customer service job at Merrill Lynch. I, all I was doing was answering the phone and I had this degree. I had great grades. I had great promise, but I just, I had that football hangover. Yeah. Yeah. That a lot of guys that leave the NFL today have, and I kind of was in this um, middle of the road zone. So I take this job. I'll never forget it. It's 1989. They pay me twenty grand exactly, twenty grand. And I remember living with two uh, roommates and trying to figure it out. And uh, my heart was in football, and my uh, my days were, you know, being a customer service rep at the time.
0: Wow. Uh, So so at what point did you um, make a change from then? Because I know you went back to New Jersey and then you started coaching football again and and your kind of heart took you
1: um, back to New Jersey and started coaching again? Yeah, so what happened was I I go back to New Jersey. I get this job at, have this customer service rep. I'm not making a lot of money. The job is in like Piscataway or Summit, New Jersey, Piscataway, shout out to, um, to my man, Malcolm Jenkins, who played there, Eagle Super Bowl champ. And- I would go volunteer to coach kickers and punters at Middletown South High School where I graduated from. And the team the the three or four years that I coached there on a volunteer basis, right? So for those guys listening or people listening who've coached, when you start out coaching, you're you almost gotta pay them, right? Yeah. You're not you're not even getting paid. Yeah. So uh, that was a great experience because it kept me around the game. It kept me in a championship environment. There was a kid there, Stephen Pitts, who wound up uh, breaking every New Jersey rushing record. We finished 11-0. That's the biggest ring that I got, bigger than my conference championship ring in, in college. And this kid goes on to Penn State. So that was a great experience. But I had to, like a lot of NFL players have to, I really had to get my act together then right. and really take a step up because making twenty grand and volunteering to coach – was not what I was put on this planet and this earth by God to do.
0: No, nah, that's awesome. That's awesome. So, so at what point, um, did, did you realize like y- your, your life had greater purpose and, and what spiritually, emotionally, like what, what, what mentally, what, what kind of got you over that hump? Was there an aha moment when you're like, no, this is something different and I'm going to chase, whether it was a job, whether it's a career, you transition, like, what was that moment for you? Well, I had a couple aha moments
1: and I think, um, all of us do, hopefully. Mm-hmm. And the difference between an aha moment and a moment is action. Yeah. So when you catch that moment and you take action and you seize it, that's what makes the difference. Because there's lots of little moments, I think, for, for guys like you, yeah. for guys like me, for men, women, it doesn't matter who you are, but there's lots of little moments and sometimes we just miss it. Because what I like to say is we're either open for business or we're closed. Right. So if your mindset is you're negative and you don't feel great about yourself and you're not spreading love and joy and you're not a giver, and I've been there in times of my life, then you're not gonna catch the moment. But when you open up and you're willing to be vulnerable, you're willing to be a giver, you're willing to help other people, that's when the magic happens. So for me, my first aha moment was when I um, really decided I had to take my destiny into my own hands And since there was no technology, you're not networking on LinkedIn, you're not sending somebody a text. I just started opening my eyes to the fact that I had to be eloquent, compelling, and impressive in every single conversation I have with somebody. Because like uh, a football player who's here this week, who's got to go through interviews and is being looked at every single second of, of the day that they're here by by scouts by the teams are being interviewed they're lo- they're being scrutinized right i started to believe that uh, i was probably being scrutinized by people i met and i needed to step my game up so i uh, met a guy and wound up getting a job at mobile oil i doubled my income overnight that was a big eye opener for me i started to meet people who were more impressive than me who were much more accomplished who were more experienced and I started to take in everything I could. And I started to develop this mindset of, I want to find people who are the best. And I want to take little nuggets from each of those people. And I want to paint my own painting, but get all the paint from them. I don't need to reinvent something. I don't think there's, I really don't believe there's new ideas out there. Yeah, There's ideas that have been um, put forth. And not seized the right way. So that was an aha moment for me. And by the time I was uh, 30, I uh, moved back to New Jersey and I had a short stint there because I had been in New England. But by the time I was 30, I decided that I was going to really, really make a big change. And a buddy of mine who I, I had met at Mobile Oil, a guy by the name of Ed Kennedy, that was the, the, the real big aha moment of my life because He pitched me and pitched me and pitched me on Atlanta's great, Atlanta's new, Atlanta's thriving. I left this big company and I'm in this startup environment. You should come with me. You can kill it. And I remember being fearful at age 30. I was single. I uh, should have been more confident in myself, but I was fearful like a lot of people are. But when I took the leap and I did what I call burning the ships and I left my prior career and life behind and went into a startup environment and challenged myself, everything changed. Yeah. Life changed in a big, big way and I really became an entrepreneur and got into situations that would be less comfortable but more lucrative.
0: It's amazing, um, there's several quotes around, um, life starts outside of your comfort zone. And it seemed like it was the same way uh, for you. Um, <clears throat> so in my life, my aha moment came, I was a walk on at Rutgers, my parents uh, refinanced my house twice. So first, second year, um, third year comes, tuition bill goes to my house, and they can't afford it. There's no more equity left in the house. There's no more mortgage. So I get a call on Thursday, and my mom told me that they can't afford college, and that I need to come home, live with them, wow. um, and enroll at Rowan University. Yeah, um, which was Glassboro State yep. when you came. So I tell the coach, like, hey, coach, man, it was thanks, uh, thanks for everything you did. Um, but I gotta leave on, on Monday. Um, I can't afford tuition. And my, my position coach didn't even realize that I wasn't a scholarship player. Right. He was just like, What you like you're second string? Right. What are you talking about? Like you're a starter on special teams. Like, what what do you mean? Like you're 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 not a scholarship. I'm like, I'm not a scholarship. Like I can't afford tuition. I'm going home. Um so he said he's gonna talk to the coach and uh, see if he can get me a scholarship. This was uh, back in probably two thousand. Um I had a nineteen um I think uh, it was a 1989 Hyundai XL. Right? Nice. So a uh, hatchback, sky blue. Styling. Uh, so I uh, filled the truck. I filled the car. I uh, went and talked to the coach, man, and um, he changed my life. Uh, he told me that, um, obviously, that he's going to continue to re- recruit players that are better than Gary Bracken. And at this point, I'm like, look, man, I'm, I got my stuff packed. Like, I could just hit home. You don't got to break my heart and then right. send me home. Like So then he's like, nah, man. But he's like, you know what? You work extremely hard. Yeah, you, you do get good grades. Um you're always first in every drill. You ever do everything that we, we, we ask of you and because of that we're gonna give you a scholarship. Man, I, wow. I I cried like a baby. And um so this is what changed my life. So I cried. I got on the phone, told my mom and dad I got a scholarship when we had to play. So they there my mom was an ordained reverend, so she's thankful, she's happy, she's praying. She's
1: praying. Praising God. Yeah,
0: yeah. So then I go into the locker room, right? So it's like, you know, this is a team lift. So it was about 80, 90 people in the locker room lifting weights, right? And, you know, one minute on, women minute all. So everyone's lifting weights. So I go, my boys thought, like, I dapped them up before I went to a meeting. Like, man, after this meeting, I'm out of here, man. I have a good season. And, like, I'll text me, right? So I go in there, like, what's up, man? i was like, hey, I got a scholarship. So, like, oh, yeah, you got a scholarship. So I'll never forget this day. 6'3, 250 pound. Uh, Wesley Robinson comes talk to me. He's from Camden, New Jersey. So he's like, "What's what's all the noise, man? Y'all getting out of uh, y'all uh, rotation?" I'm like, "Yo, Jersey, I got a scholarship, man. I get to stay." He's like, "Scholarship? You should worry about starting." And I was like, "Who me starting? Like my whole gig, like before that point, was to go to school, get an education, and do something more like." But starting, I was just like, "Me starting Division One against Miami V Tech? I never, I never thought that into my life, right?" And so that night, I didn't sleep. I, and I would just wrap my head around like me starting, like what would that look like? And that changed my life from not going out for my best life. And I feel like so many people um in life um limit their success, limit their ability, and their goals are so short. You know, most people in life, their goals is not that they goals um that they don't reach their goals. The, sometimes in life, their goals are so short that they reach them, and they didn't stretch so far enough. So that moment really taught me, like, man, live your best life, dream how big your life can be, and don't be afraid to put in the work. So from that point, I just put in work, and I always thought of myself, like, I should be the star, I should be a CEO, my company should have 50 restaurants, and that really affected the way I live my life, because now I'm not afraid um, to put something out there that I want to be successful, because that's what you should be.
1: Look at the results for you. Yeah, Seriously, that was a, a powerful testimonial, and I hope people take note, because My observation through life in lots of situations is that what really happens is we tell ourselves what's possible. Yeah. And we set ourselves up for where we're going to end up. So if we believe that we're worth X, then guess what? We're worth X. Yeah. If we believe that we're worth X plus plus, you're probably going to get close to it. Yeah. If not there. I've seen it happen so many times in my life, just like you said, where you say, um, you know what? I, ju- I just want to start. Yeah. And guess what happens? You just start. Yeah. And maybe you're good. But if you say, I'm going to be an All-American. Well, yeah. not only do you start, but you probably get darn close yeah. or all, all you get there. Yeah. Whatever it is. And I think that's the key to life. The key to life is we're our biggest ally And our worst enemy. yeah, We, our mindset, what we tell ourselves is more important than what anybody else tells us because the voice is in our head all the time. You have children. I have children. I'm constantly telling my kids, number one, it's okay to fail. Yeah, for sure. It's okay. This concept that failure is not an option, I think is the biggest load of BS Mm -hmm. that we've been fed because success does never come without failure. Yeah. Lightness never comes without tasting darkness. No. Yeah. Right. Spring never comes before winter. Right. Right. So it's really interesting that you had that experience and, and yeah, look where you're at, man.
0: Man, no, I appreciate that, man. And you left a, a, a bunch of clues right there for our listeners. So definitely appreciate this. So let's talk about that a little bit because I had my, my own form of darkness, Um, as did you. Um, So um, you are a cancer survivor. I am. So uh, talk to us about the story, like when you developed it, um, how did you know, like what was the process? How did you change spiritually um, through through that whole ordeal?
1: Yeah. So first of all, I, as you meet people and as I've met people, I think that by the time you're into your, your mid thirties, let's say you've had cancer whether that's the physical kind of cancer or you've been through the loss of a loved one Mm -hmm. or you've been through a divorce situation or you've lost a business or you made a bad investment or somebody did you wrong, I just believe that we all have to deal with a form of cancer. Now, the cancer I had just happens to be physical. And what happened in that really two-year period Of learning about it, going through treatment, um, and then dealing with the after impact from a mental standpoint and a psychological standpoint changed my life forever. So I now am so grateful that I was given that opportunity to to go through the battle. And I was given an opportunity to draw closer to God. I can remember uh, the day that I was told that I had cancer. It's so interesting. Life is a series of twists and turns. You have to embrace each one of those and you just have to stay on the rails, right? So I moved to Atlanta, um, working with my best buddy at the time. We're in the software business. It's a startup environment. We're really, we're paving new trails. We're making really good money. We're doing the right thing. It's an exciting time. The the dot-com thing is going on. I buy a brand new house in Atlanta. I furnish it. The day the furnishings come on the truck literally, is July 14th, 1999. I get a call from the doctor. The doctor says, hey, I got bad news. And I said, what could that be, man? I'm working out every day. I'm 31 years old. I'm a pescatarian. I'm just eating fish. I've never used drugs. I don't smoke and I'm in great shape. He says, "Uh, you have a great food size mass in your chest. And I said, that's got to be one of the, what do you call it, fatty tumor? What do they call it, benign, malignant? I didn't even know what the difference yeah. was, right? He's like, no, I think it's uh, I think it's the real deal. I think it's cancer. And I, my world stopped for a minute. And we have such power. Our brains, our souls have such power to decide the path we're going to take. And it was literally a five-second period, and my brain snapped me into, all right, well, What's the game plan? What are we going to do? I'm 31. I don't have the responsibilities of a family. I didn't realize at the time that, you know, had I had a family, you have a different responsibility set, right? If you have kids and and a a wife, wife and it's a different, it's a different burden. So I was free. And the doctor said to me, when I went and got biopsied, he said, you got a 50, 50 shot, man, literally bluntly like that. And I was like, all right, I'm, I'm good. If you, if you give me, you know, if we're at midfield and we're tossing the coin up, yeah. I'll take heads. I'm yeah. good with that. So through that process, I just I became closer to the people around me. I came to uh, respect things even more. I came to respect people even more. I came to uh, love people even more. I came to get closer to God, and I came to be more grateful. And I think ultimately, the biggest, the biggest lesson we can all learn, learn is that gratitude is the mother and father. Of success, if you live in gratitude, and you are not allowing negative thought to permeate your soul, you got a real shot at being something and being uh, somebody who can really change the world. In my opinion,
0: No, that, that that's amazing, and it's it's amazing. Um, I, I myself um, didn't have cancer, but I was a bone marrow donor to my brother who had cancer. Um, so unfortunately, I lost both my mom. My dad, my brother in an 18 month span. And that really made me appreciate and value life. So people always ask me, like, like, why are you happy? Like, you should be like, like, I just had my fifth flat tire on my car. Right. <laughs> and and I'm sitting there like, all right, cool, man. How you feel? I'm like, I'm great. I got a flat tire. I'm gonna call AAA. That's why I got them. It sucks. It's inconvenient. But I'm still blessed. When I when I put everything in perspective, I'm still blessed. And that mindset really helps you out when you're in that darkness, when you're in that tough time. That the power of your mind is incredible. And more people need to tap into that and really realize that as a man think if so is he. Right? So if you think about positive, if you think about gratitude, if you think about being thankful, then guess what? Those blessings are gonna come and they're gonna flow over. But if you're thinking about, oh man, look at look at this, look at my life, another flat tire. Oh, this sucks right and 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 not only does it suck for me I'm going to go home and everyone in the house is going to suck for it cuz I don't be on the rampage no, you're right and, but 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 having that eternal optimism and being grateful it's just like you know what I had a, I had a bad moment in my day I didn't have a bad day I had a bad moment in my day
1: I fixed it and now I'm good not only did I have a bad moment and, and I let it go but I'm not bad yeah. and that you know what starts happening right is people as as stuff happens yeah, they start right. thinking they're bad right and they're not blessed and that's not true. And by the way, if you got five flat tires, don't rub on me because I, I don't want a flat tire. I don't know, I don't know what you got, not, got with flat tires, it's not,
0: it's, but I want to
1: make sure that's not contagious. Is yeah, there, a, is there low, a flat tire <laughs> shot as opposed to a flu shot I can get? It's low pro tires
0: in Indiana where we have probably one of the worst uh, winters, a whole bunch of salt on the street. Um, so that's what, that's the, there, there's actually like um, basketball-sized potholes on the highways.
1: Oh, that's not good. Yeah, that's yeah. The Hoosier State has basketball-sized potholes on the highways. Yeah. Now I understand.
0: But the weather's broken, and, and asphalt shops are open, so the crews are out fixing them. So thank you to our mayor. Um, but yeah, but you know, it's something you got to deal with. So it's inconvenient. But at the end of the day, it could be a lot worse. Um, so you know, I, I get my flats. I, I got uh, warranties on my tires. Thank God, I'm smart enough to get that done. So, but I, but I overcome it. So, um, but but it's funny you say that. Having a bad moment in your day doesn't make you a bad person. I think people view failure the same way. People view the fact that they failed at a business, at a marriage, at, at a career, or whatever they they view that as themselves are failures. What would you tell that person that that thinks that they're a failure and attaches, you know, their business, their job, or something else to to their individual person?
1: The greatest thing that I've learned outside of Gratitude being the, the mother and father of success, is that we are not what we do. Mm. And too many people place the ultimate value on what they do, the results they get in life, regardless of those results are on parenting or financial results or the results of a business they're building or the results of how many catches they have as an NFL player or the results of whether they won a lot of games or lost a lot of games. The reality is that it is much more important who we are than what we do. And I think it's, it's really weird to me. And our culture and society, and this is hundreds of years, you meet somebody, right? And the first thing that somebody says is what? What do you do? What do you do? That's weird. Yeah. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you do. It re- really, what I would rather learn is who you are and what you believe in, right? Because yeah. if you can figure out, in my opinion, if you can identify the key roles in your life. So for me, my four key roles are I'm a husband, I'm a father, I'm a what I call a change agent. I want to infect positive change in anything I do. And I'm a people connector. Mm. I get great joy out of putting two people together who could potentially take one plus one and make it three. So I know that those are the four roles and I have specific strengths and weaknesses in those roles. I've identified those. I've developed goals for each of those roles and I've built those up to a, what what is a amounts to a macro um, mission statement, a personal mission statement. So I live according to that mission statement. I don't live according to the results I got at my job or the business I built or uh, how many people that I met. I, I don't. I really think that if we could become more focused on what we believe and who we are, then you, A, you'd get to know people better. B, I think we'd understand each other better. And C, we'd all be a lot more successful because our measuring stick would not be, well, the family across the street has nicer cars and he's got a better job, so he's better than me. He's not. They may have way more issues from a a character flaw standpoint. They may have family issues. They, you see what I'm saying?
0: It's funny. I always get reminded of the commercial, and a guy has his nice house, and he's cutting the lawn. He's like he has all these nice cars, and it's like you know how I do this. I'm in debt up to my. That's eyeballs. right. That's right.
1: I love that commercial. That is an awesome commercial.
0: And it's like so many people see the outward view of of people in their lives and what they post on social media, which is ultimately a highlight reel, right? Everything on social media people post is a highlight reel. So if you get caught up in that and not really like anchoring yourself and really thinking about now what matters to me, who am I as a person, and what brings me joy, and what and how do I define the success? then you're, you're never going to find that chasing
1: other people and comparing your life. I wish we could start a movement, seriously, because you'd find, you'd find out so much about somebody, right? Yeah. If I meet you and I say, what do you do? Yeah. And you say, I'm, a, I'm an NFL player. Right. Or I'm a, uh, I own 10 restaurants and I'm, I'm a franchisor. Yeah. I can't learn anything about you. Sure. I really can't learn who you are. To me, you could be uh, the greatest father in the world, Or you could be a jerk. I don't know that, right? So I asked, I interviewed somebody last week and I asked her one question. There were multiple people in the interview and my turn came to ask a question and I only had one question. And my one question was, what are the three things that you believe in? Wow. First of all, unfortunately, I think she was stunned, right? She was looking, she was going along the interview totally focused on what she had done, right. what Resident. I have done, yeah. what my skills are. And I was looking for something totally different. I was looking for, could she articulate what she believed in? And I thought to myself, it's a fair question because if somebody said that to me, I have three things. And I think threes threes are powerful. If somebody asks you what you believe in and you said 17 things, you would lose them. Yeah, if yeah. you said one thing, you might leave them wanting more and I, so somebody says to me what you believe in it's easy for me number 1 connection connection that's authentic and real with other people two giving more than i take yeah three belonging i think it's a lost art belonging to something that's bigger than me wow and helping add to that and not take away from it and you can tell a lot about somebody sure. now you could call bs right and go yeah i don't i don't know you you just said that yeah but now I put that out there. Now you have a barometer to test. Is yeah. that who I am?
0: No, nah, that's that's great. That's great, man. I'm, I'm going to try this off the cusp, man. Um, three things I believe in. How you like these? Servant leadership. I love it. Right. I believe in being a servant and giving way more than you take. So similar to what you said, um, I, I believe that anything that I touch, I should leave in a better place than when I got it from. Yes. Right. So I believe that. The how you do anything is how you do everything. So if you're gonna start something, be able to finish it and be able to put your all into it. I right? love it. And I believe in trust and honesty. You gotta be truthful. You gotta it always, always transparency.
1: Uh, man is so powerful.
0: Uh, I, I would always say this thing: if you lie to yourself, who can you trust? Right. And so many people, unfortunately, they lie to themselves. Right. So for me, I'm blatantly, I'm self-aware, emotionally IQ. I know who I am, but most importantly, I know who I'm not. And I played to my strengths. And so many people, like we would, we, 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 uh, I remember Coach Caldwell, he'd always like show up and he'd show Michael Jordan's like his fadeaway, his show, um, his show Wayne Gretzky, like one of his, his, and he would say, What are these guys? Someone would be like, I don't know, what are they? Like, these are their signature moves, right? Everyone in life, what is your signature move? Yes. right. Yes. What, what is your go to? If you get in trouble, what do you go to? Is it, is it your faith your signature move? Right? Is your ability that your work ethic? What is this? I am going to run? I am going to lie. But, so, what is this signature move? And and all these great people, they have this this DNA. They're hardwired to do X, and that was always amazing to me that he pointed that out. And our signature move was always like, "Hey, sticking together as a team, right? We're much greater
1: as a team." Totally, totally. Because think about what I now know about you. Yeah. I uh, now i i can i can measure you by that. Right. I can start to get to know you and. I can live by... I heard a great thing at church the other day. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not going to plagiarize it because you got you to give credit, yeah, right? for sure. So we're at church. I serve in the children's ministry. My wife and I, my wife Angie and I have served for 10 years in a row in the children's ministry. It's called 316. So while big church is going on upstairs, right, I lead a group of third-grade boys and girls in a, a Bible study. Wow. My wife has fifth-grade girls. And so in this little session with the kids... One of the pastors said, everybody knows the golden rule, right? And everybody said, yeah, do unto others as, as you'd have it done unto you. And then he said, yeah, and that's really good, but here's what's really great. The platinum rule, do unto others as they'd want done unto themselves. And it really made me think, Gary, because he, he used an unbelievable example. Wow. He said, I love chocolate ice cream. Talking about himself. Yeah. And he said, my wife— She really loves chocolate chip mint ice cream. Mm. So if I bring her chocolate ice cream, well, that's nice. Yeah. But if I bring her chocolate chip mint ice cream, even though that's not what I like, then I delivered the platinum rule. Wow. I delivered to her what she wants, not how I want it done. So I think we all got to start figuring out, right? Who is the person on the other side of the table from me? And how can I help them the way they want to be helped as opposed to doing unto them as I want done unto me? A little different twist on that.
0: Man, that's that's amazing. I, I am I am going to start living by the platinum rule.
1: I love it, man. You and I both.
0: <laughs> you know, it's, it's amazing, right? Because uh, even being uh, married, right? And, and my thing, um, you know, marriage is ups and downs, whatever you go through. And and our question we were challenged with like when was the, when was the last time you asked your significant other how would they like to be loved, right? When was the last time that you asked your one of your employees how how would you like to be coached? How would you like to be led, right? What what are your hot buttons? Because what I found out is that what maybe moves me may not move the other nope. person. Nope. So the golden rule do as the others. What I like, right? I'm just a grinder. Right. I just work hard. Right, I just think what what she likes. I just want to relax. Right, I just want to chill. I just want to sleep. Right, and so just having that mentality that it's okay, it it's her it's what she wants to do, and that's okay. And for an employee, uh, what what incentivizes you? All right, so this is what we have. We can give you extra bonus, of X
1: dollars, or you get an extra week off. What are you going to take? All right, so. right. Because you may say you may say to somebody, hey. I'm going to give you another hundred bucks. And you think that's amazing. Yeah. And they're like, I would rather it had a few days with my family. That would be better, right? That would be the platinum rule. Yeah,
0: that's it. And,
1: And you're right. So many couples, right? So many couples don't know each other. Yeah. And we men are just notorious for it. We're like, so you're a grinder. You're go, go, go. Your wife wants to chill, right? Here's you. You show up at the house. Honey, I got great news. Oh, what's that? We're going out tonight. I'm yeah. taking you out. We're rolling. We're rolling up. We're gonna go, I'm gonna go out dancing afterwards. And she's like, Does he not know me? Yeah. I just want to chill with him. Yeah. Like if we could just hang out and have a glass of wine and talk, yeah, that'd of, be awesome. Yeah. But we're doing it because yeah. we we're doing what we want. Sure. And not living by the platinum rule. So really interesting. We could talk about this for hours. We'll move yeah, on. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, for sure. No, no, that's dope. That's definitely a definitely. Clue for you. Success leaves clues. That's definitely a clue that uh, I'm definitely going to start incorporate in my life. So I appreciate that. So let's move on to um to what you're doing now, because it's very um, interesting what you're doing now. Um, it's it's so um, needed in this space um, of athletes and, and obviously when they transition from the game uh, being lost. So um, w- what are you doing currently and kind of how, how did you get there?
1: Yeah. So how I got there is probably a good place to start to get to to where I am now. So, Mm -hmm. so in about 10 years ago, in 2007, I guess that's 11, I helped start a company called Equity Estates. And this company is a really great concept, still going today. And it takes um, beautiful vacation homes and destinations like Paris and New York and Turks and Caicos and Aspen and Deer Valley and San Diego, et cetera, and allows people who want an investment in a diverse pool of real estate to not buy a second home, but put in a couple of hundred thousand dollars and own a piece of lots of different second homes that they can vacation in and have a concierge support them. So great, great business, really interesting. We started it and we bought homes in the peak of the real estate crisis of two thousand eight, nine, ten, eleven. 10, 11. So we were buying homes, you know, we were buying $4 million homes for $2 million. So we were getting really good deals. And at about this time, I met Larry Fitzgerald. I met him at a charity event at uh, a charity called Starkey hearing foundation, which is a spectacular um, entity that helps kids around the world who have never heard to hear for the first time using devices that they've developed. And, they partner with lots of pro athletes and they take athletes on missions around the world from Nicaragua to Uganda. And so I meet Larry at this event and he says, what do you do? And I told him, and three months later, he calls me and Larry becomes a client. Mm. And he says to me, if you take care of me, I'll take care of you. And, and so 10 years later and another company later, I started another company with a business partner in 2012 called Getaway to Give which is a luxury travel company designed to raise millions and millions of dollars for charities using Great Vacations. So through that 10-year period and through Larry and other relationships with people like Takiyo Spikes and Kerry Rhodes and Jari Evans and Sean Weatherspoon and others, I've met hundreds of NFL players, current and, and former, and dozens of team executives. And I've just started going to the Super Bowl week and started going to Combine and developed great relationships, love a lot of people in this business. And so all that to say, last year, about a year ago, I exited the business and uh, had an event where my, my business partner uh, bought me out and still great company, doing great things, but I just felt a calling and have a passion for helping in particular NFL players make the transition from playing to living because Mm -hmm. what I observed happening is 28-year-old men who for four years in high school and three or four years in college and three to seven years in the NFL, that's 15, 17 years most of their life, they've been a football player. And what happens is they um, evolve to the point that I talked about a few minutes ago where What they do is who they are. Mm. And so they've become a product of what they do. So it's very difficult to walk away from the game. Very, very difficult, as you know. You were successful doing it. Most guys are not. And what happens is they have an identity crisis. They're not sure what their purpose is. They have not built business relationships, haven't built a business network. Don't Uh, and haven't worked on externships or internships, so they haven't acquired the skills to get into a business. And frankly, they don't know what they want to do. And I've talked to lots of guys and wives who've said, it took me two years, three years, four years to even get off the couch proverbially. I pick my kids up at school, I help around the house, but I'm not doing anything. And here's the fact. Achievers, producers, and pro athletes are producers and achievers, right. are wired to produce and achieve. Yeah. So if you leave something and you spend two, three, four years not producing and achieving, bad stuff happens. Yeah. So my observation is that all of us have uh, three different elements roughly in our lives. I like three. Now you can fit stuff into each one of those buckets. One is your life. And that is, what's your overall mindset? What's your plan? What's your belief system? What relationships are you building? Who do you care about? The second piece is business. And that means how do you earn a living? How do you generate income? And the third piece is money, finances, which is different than business. Some people think that business and money are the same. They're not. Yeah. What you make is oftentimes not what you keep. Sure. So money and finance and how that plays into your future is really important. And my observation is that NFL players in particular as well as Major League Baseball and NBA players, as they step away from the game, there's an imbalance across the three zones. Lots of guys retire with some money and there's a lack of business clarity. There's a lack of life clarity. And then that leads to what the public narrative is, which is former NFL players go broke. Now, the reason for that is not because guys are buying private jets and Lamborghinis and Ferraris and taking trips around the world and going on bingers in Las Vegas. There are people who are not football players that do that. And there are football players that do that. There's not many. The reason is they have not built and stepped away from, they haven't built the roles out in their life that they want to achieve in. They haven't found their identity. They haven't found their purpose. They haven't partnered with the right business people. They haven't built the right business network. And therefore – if those things are out of whack, the money part is going to follow at some point. It's going to collapse, and bad things are going to happen.
0: Yeah. Now, that, that man, you hit, the, you hit the nail on the head on so many issues. Um, obviously, being a former athlete, um, NFL player, I, I come across a lot of people um, who have deep depression because when they left the game, they, they didn't have an identity because for years, you know, who are you? What do you do? I'm a football player. So, when you no longer play football, what does that mean? It's a funny story. Um, So, I thought I'm a football player. I did well. When I finished at 31 years old, I thought I'm going to retire. So, I'm golfing three, four times a week, right? And I stink at golf, right? So, I'm 110, 120, (laughs) coming home. So, I'm three, four beers in. My wife, right, who's a doctor, I call her my retirement plan. but she's going to work. She's working 60, 70 hours a week. She's studying. She's grinding. She's figuring out. And I'm like, hey, I deserve to retire. I'm 31. I made some good money. So my son, four years old at the time, he looks at me and he says, Daddy, what do you want to do when you grow up? I was like, what?
1: Wow, that's powerful.
0: Like, Dad, what do you want to do when you... Like, Mommy's a doctor. She's, she wants to be a doctor. She's going to school. She's working.
1: He knocked you. He gave you He gave you a right hook. You, <laughs> you, you felt it.
0: Yeah. He, what, what are you going to do? And I'm like, do you see this house, these cars, like this trophy, these rings? Like, what do you mean? But but he didn't know who I was. He, did, he didn't know who his daddy was as a football player. He was born two days before my last NFL game. Wow. Two days before my last NFL game, he was born. I got injured. I never played again. All right. And he didn't know me as a football player. He still doesn't know me as a football well. player. He knows me as dad. Dad? I'm. I, my dad works hard. He's home, he coaches my basketball games, him and mommy take us out to, to fun places, that, that's who he knows me as, and now he feels fulfilled and proud because his dad gets up and goes to work every day.
1: You hit the... But, but think about what you just said. Yeah. He knows you as dad. Yeah. Right? Your wife, first and foremost, knows you as her husband. Yeah. And I think we, as men, I can't speak for a woman because I'm not one. Yeah. As men, we get that twisted. We think that everybody, our kids, our wife, our peers, the general public, is looking at us for what we do and our job, and that's not reality. Your son's looking at you as dad, now a business owner and a dad. Your wife's looking at you as a husband and a provider. She doesn't care what job you got. Yeah, You're a provider, but you're her husband first and foremost. So yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting conundrum. Lots of guys go through it. And so I'm wildly passionate about it, and I've worked really hard to develop a process and a program where those three elements we can help we can help fix those and uh, and help in a lot of different ways on on those three buckets.
0: Right now, that's awesome. That's awesome. So we're gonna take one technical break. I'm having some technical difficulties with my computer here. Um, So we're going to get this going and we're going to jump up in um, because lastly, I want to ask you something that we asked. So now I'm giving you a little bit of time to think about it. I'm going to leave. I'm going to ask you. Final question is um, what clue would you want to leave? You left you left a bunch already about the platinum room going above the golden rule. But what clue would you kind of leave that kind of led to your success and that can help uh, reach someone else? So that'll be right back. After we take this short break, so stick with us. Um, We're hearing from Rob Vaca and um, Success Leaves Clues with Gary Brackett. All right, great. So coming back to you, um, thanks for joining us. Gary Brackett, Success Leaves Clues here with Rob Vaca. Having a great conversation about transitioning, um, how he's doing now, currently helping NFL players. Um, It's amazing. What what has been the reception uh, from the NFL world, from the former players um, about what you're doing?
1: for the most part, it's been wildly uh, accepted because yeah. I think the, the guys, and I know lots of lots and lots of guys who are out of the league for between one year and 10 years, right? Yeah. And I know lots of guys in the league. And, and I think the guys who have been transparent and willing to really look at it and address it have literally said to me, I had shiny object syndrome after I left the league. Mm. I just kind of hoped that if a shiny object came along... I could reach out and grab it and it could turn into seven figures. Other guys said a bunch of people in my life who were part of me and part of the journey, all of a sudden they wanted to jump off the boat. Other guys said, I really couldn't get off the couch. I just didn't have the confidence in myself post football to, to look in the mirror and get off the couch. Other guys said, I, uh, I didn't believe that I could be more than a football player. So, you know, I think the the reception has been amazing and we really do believe and we really do care about the life part and the business part and we're helping on the financial part. So we're really like a life coach, a business coach and a financial advisor all in one and a team that can do all those things and help in all those areas for the cost of a financial advisor, right? And so the reception's been great. We're helping a bunch of guys And for me personally, at age 50, I've started companies, I've sold companies, I've been uh, really successful, I've made mistakes, I've made money, I've lost money, I've been on the journey, right? But at the end of the day for me, this is now about making a change and changing these guys' lives because if we change one or two or three of these guys' lives, their families will be impacted, their families' families will be impacted, And if we can get them out of the funk and get them back to doing what they do best, which is producing results, achieving, feeling great about themselves, loving their families and preserving the money that they made and keeping it or growing it, then that's what I want. I don't need to sign a hundred guys to be clients. I don't need to have this year's first round draft pick. I don't need, you know, Tom Brady to be a client of mine. I don't need any of that kind of stuff. I just want to make an impact. I think we're doing it. And that's the fun part for me.
0: No, nah, that's amazing. That's amazing. So where, where can they find you at? What information, where can they find you at? Where can they learn more about your company?
1: Yeah, so a bunch of stuff. Uh, I'm, I'm everywhere on, on social media. Rob Vaca. It's it's not tricky. R-O-B-V-A-K-A. On Instagram, on Twitter, on LinkedIn, and on Facebook. And they can find me in any of those spots and see what I'm doing and and then ultimately hear more about the company.
0: No, nah, that's awesome. That's amazing, man. That's um very much needed in that space man so i commend you for attacking that for helping up. my former brothers um had an event last night at the arts garden has another one tonight at char blue uh my steakhouse so uh, as always fellowship is always good times when we get together um uh, but i know a lot of them are hurting so i know uh you and your company is going to help a lot of people save lives like you said it's going to be um generation that would be affected by the decisions that they make by joining you and really recognizing that the power and the skill that they had um, in football is transferable to every aspect of their life and they just
1: have to apply it well amen my friend look i i I truly am grateful and humbled to have been asked to be on this. to be number five i'm serious that means a lot and I know you're going to do great things. And, and I can just see in the short time that we've been together that you are, you do believe in those three things, and you are a special dude. So thanks for having me.
0: Nah, no problem. Man. So last thing, last thing. Um, success leaves clues. Um, what clue would you have for success? I know we, we talked about a b- bunch of stuff, but like what's one clue that you can leave our listeners with um, for them to be
1: successful in their lives? Got to write down a plan. Wow. You've got to identify three or four roles in your life. Your only role is not to be A business owner you got to write down three or four roles you got to write down goals you have to have an overall mission statement for who you are and what you want to achieve in life if you do that you're better than 97% of the population because people aren't doing this stuff
0: that's it that's it you heard it here begin with the end of mind people write down a plan stick to your plan and inventory that plan um, it might change year after year, um, but make sure you have some type of compass that you're working with. Uh, this is Gary Brackett, uh, special guest Rob Vaca. This is Success Leaves Clues. Please like us. Please share um, this with all your friends. And I appreciate you being on, brother. Good deal. Um, can't wait to stay in touch, man, and see what you're doing and see how we can mutually help each other uh, as we continue our careers.
1: We're going to do it. Thanks again. Look.
0: All right, guys. Have a good one.